so everybody say this with me. It is time. And, and, and this message, these three words, it is time, is for not everybody in this room, but for some of you in this room that have been holding off on getting baptized because you've created in your head all of these rules or obstacles or whatever it is that has to happen first before you get baptized. And I just want to tell you right now, the Lord is saying it is what? Time. It is time. Don't stop. Don't delay. Don't wait. It is time, and so if you want to do it, you can talk to us outside after the service at our connection table, or you can fill out one of our cards that you got when you came in and put on there you want to get baptized, your name and phone number, and put it down, and we'll get you ready for baptisms in two weeks on Easter Sunday. A lot more going on, but we'll save it for the announcements at the end. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5 is where we are going to be today. I love the Word of God. I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you this. See, this Bible right here um, is, is falling apart on me. The uh, cover has completely come off. And the whole deal, and I probably should have already like glued it in the whole thing, but I haven't done that yet. But I just, I, I love the Word of God. And, uh, and you should have the type of Bible in your life that ends up looking like this one, okay? Disaster, where all the pages are like creasing over. Anybody have a Bible like that? And, and because you are just in it so much that it just is getting all messed up on you. A messed up Bible leads to a life that is not messed up. A messed up life has a clean Bible. But a messed up Bible is a clean life. And, uh, and, and so get into it, get into it. Judges chapter 5 is where we are today. Um, just as a bit of background, uh, Judges is the book of leaders of Israel before there were kings, all right? The leaders of Israel before there were kings, before King Saul and King David and the other kings. It was a kind of a transitionary time when the people of Israel had gone into the promised land and they are now where God had, had, had told them they were going to be, but they did not yet have kings, so they had judges. And judges typically did a couple of things. One of the things they did is some of them were more military types of judges that would help to free the people of Israel from the oppression that they were in. Everybody say oppression. Um, and, and then the second thing that judges would do, not every judge did both of these, but but some of the other judges, would they would act like a judge. They would actually have people come to them and talk to them, and they would make decisions to help the people of Israel. So um, those are kind of the things that were going on. And we're going to be in chapter 5, but in chapters 4 and 5, we have uh, the story of Deborah, who was one of the judges of Israel, the only female judge of Israel and, and she um, has an incredible story, actually, that, that I really like. Now, chapter 4, I actually preached on that last year. So if you want to um, listen to my message, watch my message about it, it's on YouTube. And I'm literally just going in order through Scripture. So if you find the Sunday, I don't even know which Sunday it was, but if you find the Sunday that has the book of Joshua, which is right before Judges, then you'll know that in the... Next one or two Sundays is when I was doing Judges, right? So, um, so, so I'd encourage you to watch it. But I want to give some background, and then we'll jump into chapter 5, which is where I want to focus our time today. Today, I want to talk about problems. 
Isn't that what you came to church to do, right? You just, you're like, I came this Sunday morning because I want to hear about problems. I, I want to talk about problems, but I promise you that my message is a hope-filled message. Are you ready? Um, it, it's going to end with a whole lot of hope, so we're going to be fine by the end. But, but you got to track with me through this as, as we, as we kind of go through it. Um, in Judges chapter 4, here's how the story goes. Deborah is one of the judges, and, and she receives a word from God that God wants to give the people of Israel victory over their enemy. This enemy that was oppressing them, was enslaving them, and, and doing horrible things. And so God gives this word to Deborah that, that you guys are going to go to battle and you're going to be set free from them. So uh, she goes and talks to Barak, and Barak is the commander of the army. And she tells him, hey, here's what the Lord has said, that it is time, like, go to battle. You're going to defeat the enemy. And Barak's like, okay, but I don't want to go alone. I will only go if you, Deborah, go with me. And she says, okay, I, I agree, but just so you know, because you weren't willing to step up on your own, knowing that the victory was yours, because God said it, then you are not going to get the glory for this victory. A woman is going to get the glory for this victory. And all the ladies said, you're like, hallelujah, this is great. And, uh, and, and so what ends up happening is Barack goes with Deborah. They, they run after the enemy. They, they kill them. Things are going great. And then Sisera, who is the commander of the enemy's army, uh, runs away. And he runs to a tent that belongs to a couple. And the wife, uh, the, the husband is out. He's gone doing something. And the wife's name is Jael. And, and Jael, or Jael, she uh, is in the tent. And, and they, they, had a, they, they were kind of like, the, the, this couple, they were Jewish, but they were kind of like Switzerland, right? They were, they, 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 they were neutral with everybody, right? So they just kind of lived on their own and did their own thing. And so, so the commander of the army, Sisera, shows up to her tent, and, and he goes, hey, could you give me some water? And she's like, I'll do you one better. I'll give you milk, right? So she gives him some milk, and then he falls asleep. And while, she's asleep, while he is asleep, she takes a big old long tent peg and a hammer and hammers it through his skull. No joke. We'll read it in a minute. And uh, the tent peg was apparently so big that it went out the other side of his skull and literally pounded his skull into the ground, right? So, and you're like, wait, that's like kind of rated R. Well, yeah, that's in the Bible. So um, I'm just repeating what the word says. And, uh, and, and that's what ends up happening. And Jael wins the victory for the people of Israel. And she gets honored because of that. And so that's the story. That's the background. Like I said, I preached on it last year. But let's go to chapter 5 because that's where I want to spend our time. In chapter 5, Deborah and Barak... So Deborah, the judge, and Barak, the commander of the army, write a song. They write a song, and this entire chapter is this song. Now, there's only a few verses I want to speak on, but I'm going to read through the whole song just so I can kind of bring attention to a few things today. And so we're going to start right at the beginning. On that day, the day of their victory, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. Israel's leaders took charge, and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings, pay attention, you mighty rulers. 
For I will sing to the Lord, I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. So this is kind of their introduction. We're going to sing this song. Verse 4. Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. Verse 5. Let's read verse 5. Everybody together out loud. What does it say? The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai, in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. How many say amen to that? That's kind of my main verse, the verse that the Lord showed me. I'll come back to that in a little while. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, notice how they call it, the days of Jael. Like here's, you know, in those days, in what days? The days of Jael. Like she's really important. They define those days by what she did. People avoided the main roads, and travelers stayed on winding pathways. There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. When Israel chose new gods, actually, I want everybody to read this one with me. Let's read it together. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gates, yet not a shield or spear could be seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel. I want to stop here for a moment just to set a foundation of something. When problems come your way, sickness, difficulty, persecution, um, oppression, any number of things that come our way, spiritual oppression, whatever it might be, I I want you to understand something based off of what you see here, because verse 8 is a very good description for this, and and uh, in terms of what happens in our lives as well. You see, the first thing that happened was Israel chose new what? New gods. They chose New gods. And the problem with Israel during the time of the judges, as well as the time of the kings, it happened both times, was that they would constantly walk away from the Lord. They would constantly go and look for other gods and and, and worship other gods and, and do all this type of stuff. So when they did this, the oppression came. They ended up being attacked or enslaved. As long as they followed God, everything was pretty good. But when they would kind of detour away from God, then then, then these things would come at them. And, and that is actually a very interesting description for our lives as well. Because I, I want you to understand something, that we also end up with problems because of sin as well. And because of the sin in your life and my life. We end up with massive difficulties in our lives because of our sin. Now, some of you are hearing me say this, and you're already ready to like walk out, and you're like, what? What are you saying? Well, well, let me explain this and be very clear. Some of the people would hear my phrase, and they would think what I'm saying is God is judging you, right? You screwed up, so God is judging you. That is not what I am saying. Is everybody with me? All right, let me be clear. That is not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. How many of us in this room are perfect without sin. Anybody? Anybody yet? Okay. All right. Well, welcome to the club. All right. How many are are still dealing with some sin issues in your heart and in your life and brokenness and things that you need the Lord to help you with? Anybody here? I raise my hand because I need it as well. Okay. All of us. Every single one of us in this room, right? Okay. So here's the reality. Watch this. When we are dealing with our own sin, with our own issues of not being in alignment with God, 
God uses difficulty to bring us into alignment with him. In fact, Paul says it this way. It's not judgment. It's an opportunity. Paul says it this way, that when he, he talks about difficulty or tribulations or trials, I'm going to call it suffering. Everybody say that word suffering with me. But when we go through suffering, Paul says, all of those trials, all those difficulties form character. Suffering forms what? Character. So that character which I lack, that part of me which is not how it needs to be, when suffering and difficulty comes, God uses it to form character. He uses it to bring an area in my life that is out of alignment from God into alignment with God. Am I making sense to anybody? And then that character, he says, Paul says, that that suffering forms character, and the character brings us or develops hope. How many want to live hopeful? I, I, I want you to see this, because this sounds crazy. In the world, when you suffer, you are hopeless, but in Christ, suffering leads to the formation of character, which ends up in leading you to being hopeful as a result. Because the more and more that you get aligned with God, the more and more hopeful you become. But how does God use us? You, you, how does God do it? He does it through difficulties. He does it through pain. The, the, the good times of life are actually not always very good at forming us. It's the difficulty that forms us. It's the difficulty that makes us. And so the Lord brings these things to our lives or, at the very least, allows them to come to our lives so that we might be formed to become more, more like him. And who wants to become more like Jesus? And if you want to become more like Jesus, you are going to, I'm sorry, suffer. It's going to happen, period. And the problem with most people, watch this, is most people are looking at getting rid of their suffering, at escaping their suffering, at running away from their suffering, rather than seeing the victory of God in their suffering. And I want you to see, because it's actually right here, when Israel chose new gods, what happened? War erupted. That when we are out of alignment with God, there's a war that erupts in our lives as well. But then notice what it says right after that. Yet not a shield or a spear could be seen among all these warriors. In other words, they were weak. Somebody say that word with me, weak. So in reality, here it is. That when we are out of alignment we are God, with God, we end up weak in the ways of God, and we end up suffering, and we can't deal with it. And the first thing God wants to do with you is he wants to deal with your heart. He wants to bring you back to him in whatever area in your life is not how it needs to be. God wants to bring us back to him. And believe me, there are a whole lot of areas in my life where God still needs to do that. And there's a whole lot in yours as well. And so... Understand this, that when difficulty comes, the immediate opportunity is for God to change us and transform us, to form our character. Now, that is not the main point of my message today. I got a lot of other things I want to say, but I wanted to set that as a foundation as we continue on. Verse 9 says, my heart 
is with the commanders of Israel, with those who volunteered for war. Praise the Lord. Consider this. You who ride on fine donkeys, you who sit on fancy saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, listen to the village musicians gathered at the watering holes. They recount the righteous victories of the Lord and the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord marched down to the city gates. Wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, wake up, and sing a song. Arise, Barak, lead your captives away, son of Abinoam. Down from Tabor marched the few against the nobles. The people of the Lord marched down against mighty warriors. They came down from Ephraim, and a land that once belonged to the Amalekites. They followed you, Benjamin, with your troops. From Akir, the commanders marched down. From Zebulun came those who carry a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak, rushing into the valley. But the tribe in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. In other words, when they went out to battle against their enemy, the tribe of Reuben couldn't decide if they would go to battle or stay home. So they ended up deciding to stay home. Why did you sit at home among the sheepfolds? Verse 16, to hear the shepherds whistle for their flocks. Yes, in the tribe of Reuben there was great indecision. Gilead remained east of the Jordan. And why did Dan stay home? Asher sat and moved at the seashore, remaining in his harbors. But Zebulun, what did it say right here? Risked his life. As did Naphtali on the heights of the battlefield. Listen, when battle comes, you can hide. Or you can fight. You can hide or you can fight. Now let me say it before I get anywhere else. I choose to fight. I choose to fight. I I choose to enter into the battle that the Lord has brought because I know that there's a great victory that I'm going to win in that place. Those who stay on the sidelines don't get the spoils of victory. And I don't know about you, I want the spoils of victory. I want the spoils of victory. Verse 19, the kings of Canaan came and fought at Tanakh near Megiddo Springs, but they carried off no silver treasures. The stars, everybody read this one with me. It's actually a powerful verse. What does it say? The stars fought from heaven. The stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. Verse 21, the Kishon River swept them away, that ancient torrent The Kishon, march on with courage, my soul. Then the horse's hooves hammered the ground, the galloping, galloping of Sisera's mighty steeds. Let the people of Moros be cursed, said the angel of the Lord. Let them be utterly cursed because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty warriors. Verse 24, most blessed among women is who? Jael. The wife of Heber, the Kenite, may she be blessed above all women who live in tents. Jael was the queen of the tents. This is her. Then with, uh, uh, verse, yeah, verse 25, Sisera asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him what? Yogurt. She like treated him well. Then with her left hand, she reached for a tent peg and with her right hand, For the workman's hammer, she struck Sisera with the hammer, crushing his head. With the shattering blows, she pierced his temples. He sank 
he fell, he lay still at her feet, and where he sank, there he died. And I want to tell you right now, what Jael did to Sisera, the Lord wants you to do to the enemies of your soul as well. From the window, it says. Now, now this is Deborah and Barak talking about Sisera's mom and what she would have perceived or hoped for. From the window, Sisera's mother looked out. Through the window, she watched for his return, saying, Why is this chariot so long in coming? Why don't we hear the sound of chariot wheels? Her wise women answer, and she repeats these words to herself. They must be dividing the captured plunder, except for they won't. They weren't. With a woman or two for every man, there will be colorful robes for Sisera and colorful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colorful robes embroidered on both sides, yet she didn't know that Sisera, her son, had died because the people of God had won the victory. And so let's read verse 31 together. What does it say? Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera. How many say amen to that? And read on. But may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. Who wants to rise like the sun in all of its power? People of God. Then it says there was peace in the land for 40 years. Oh, the Lord is good. As I already said, when troubles and difficulties come our way, the Lord is wanting to bring us back to Him in some area of our lives. And the first thing we need to allow God to do is to align our hearts with His, to allow Him to do His work inside of us. You see, the issue that so many of us face, it's like when cancer comes or when we lose a job or when there's anxiety or when there's depression or when there is anything else that is going on or when we are hurt by somebody else and, and there's offense in our hearts or whatever it is that it looks like. I, I just want to tell you right now that when those difficulties come, the first work of the Lord is inside of our hearts. That is the beginning word. So many, what, what so many are looking for is God, heal me. God, free me. God, release me. God, get my enemy away from me. God, give me a better job. God this or God that. When your first request to the Lord should be, God, change me. Change me. And I'm dealing with this boss at work, and I just can't stand it, and, and, and I don't know what's going on. Okay, God, what are you wanting to teach me in the middle of this? Your first prayer is not, God, get rid of my boss. It's, God, what are you teaching me? What do you want to form in me? How do you want to shape me? And I could just preach on that, but i got to move on. But understand, that is the first step. That is always the first step. But then from there... What do we do? What do we do? I want to go to verse 4. And I want you to see how Deborah and Barak say these words to God. Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched, somebody say marched, and marched across the fields of Edom. I want you to understand this because they understood 
that if they were going into battle, they understood that the Lord's presence was already marching across the fields, getting ready to do battle for them. They understood that. They go, well, when you marched across the fields of Edom, the earth, what does it say right there? Tremble. And the cloudy skies poured down rain. And then in verse 5, it says the following. Go to 5, and then I'll go back to chapter 4. But in verse 5, it says this. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord. So when God said, you're going to go to battle, and you're going to defeat the enemy, the Lord didn't just give them a word. He didn't just give them a word. The Lord himself showed up and started marching on the land and when the Lord showed up the earth started to quake and the mountains began to tremble because there is nothing that can stay the same when the presence of the Lord shows up come on somebody this is the reality my friends if mountains that don't have breath and mountains that do not bleed tremble in the sight of the, of the Lord, then how much more will the Lord change you? How much more will the Lord defeat our enemies? Will he defeat Satan himself? Because when the presence of the Lord marches, there is victory wherever he goes. This is why the title of my message today, I haven't shared it yet, is The Warring Presence of God. That the presence of God makes war on your behalf. And I love this. I, I absolutely love this. Because the battle is not mine. It is God's. And so it actually says in Judges chapter 4, verse 14, when Deborah speaks to Barak originally before they went into battle, it says this, then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. For the Lord, watch this, is marching where? Ahead of you. The Lord is marching ahead of you. I, I want to tell you something. It's not just that God goes with you into battle. It is that God goes into battle before you ever get there. Before you've even stepped onto the field of battle, God has already showed up there. But in the moment when cancer shows up in your cells, I want you to know that the Lord has already entered into that space before that test from the doctor ever even showed up on your doorstep. The moment that you lose your job and you're going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to make money. I want you to know that the Lord has already showed up into that circumstance. Before you ever knew about it, he was already there. And he is marching in that place to give you a victory like no other. Let me be very, very clear with you. Part of the victory, yes, is what the Lord will do in your own heart and in your own life, absolutely. But the victory of God will show his glory far beyond you when he shows up to do these powerful things. And so he marches ahead of us. He goes into battle before us. The Lord goes before you in battle. He is marching victoriously. He is marching powerfully. His presence 
is moving forward to bring you victory when sickness strikes. Has not the Lord got ahead of you? When you are in loss, has not the Lord gone ahead of you? When you experience difficulty, has the Lord not gone ahead of you, church? Has he not already entered in? He knows because he's already there. You've got a little count from a doctor on a test that tells you what the number is at. And God is going, I knew that number before the doctor did. I was already there. And I'm not here to tell you how long or short every single process will be. I'm not here to tell you how long the difficulties will last for. But I am here to tell you that in every difficulty, there's a massive victory of God that is out ahead of you. There's a massive victory of the Lord. In fact, I, I, I want you to hear this. Tell everybody your name. Eliana. Okay. Eliana, how many years have you been dealing with knee pain? How many years? More than two years. More than two years major new, uh, knee pain that you told me that to just step up and down on the steps, to sit down and to stand up causes you major problems, correct? And the Lord gave you a word two years ago. What did he tell you? That he was going to heal my knees. Well, that's crazy because he told you two years ago and for two years the pain has continued. What happened to the promise of the Lord? Where do, if the Lord said that the knees were going to be healed, well, it didn't get healed on day one. And it didn't get healed on day two. And it didn't get healed after a month. And it didn't get healed after a year. I can't tell you how long the difficulty will last. But I, what I can tell you is that there is a massive victory, as I already said. And so when the Lord spoke to me last Sunday morning and told me to pray for people's legs, see, what I didn't tell you in the third service is when he told me Sunday morning to pray for people's legs in our services, I, I actually asked the Lord and I said, am I supposed to pray in only one service or am I supposed to pray in all of them? And he told me all of them because Liliana showed up to our third service, this service, and the Lord miraculously healed her knees and is one week without pain in any of her knees. The Lord is faithful to his promises. Oh, he does it. I have no doubt about it. But sometimes it goes two years. Sometimes it goes ten years. Sometimes it lasts longer than you plan. But the Lord will bring victory in the end. And he has already gone onto the field of battle before you. And if that battle lasts a day, you will fight with God for a day. And if it lasts for two years, you'll fight with God for two years. But believe me, you will experience the victory of the Lord in your life. Come on, we can give that applause to the Lord. And I want you to understand this clearly. Because they were told, that they needed through this song. They were told in verse 11, what, what, watch this, listen to the village musicians gathered at the watering holes. They recount the righteous victories of the Lord and the victories of his villagers in Israel. Now, now I want you to see this because the people of Israel 
up until this point had victories, but all of their victories were what we would call temporary victories, right? When they crossed the Red Sea miraculously, or when the Lord opened up the Jordan for them to cross into the Promised Land, or when the Lord took down the walls of Jericho with their shouting as they came into the Promised Land. They were great victories, but momentary ones, just moments in time. And they were sitting here saying, and we got to recount the victories of God so we might enter into the further victories that God has for us. But I want to tell you something right now today in this moment, that you and I live in a different time. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth. And when Jesus came to earth, he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. And that is not a temporary victory, but an eternal one. And so when I go into my problems, I recount the eternal victory of the Lord that is the foundation of what I have in Jesus Christ. I don't just remember a few victories. I remember the one that I have every single day of my life. And mind you, just so you know, biblically speaking, if we're going to be theologically accurate, Jesus Christ, it says in Revelation, was crucified from the foundation of the world. So before Adam and Eve even walked the planet, the work of Christ had already been accomplished in the timeline of God. And so in God's timeline, he had already come before all of the sin that ever entered into the planet. He had already done his work. Oh, in our timeline, it happened 2,000 years ago. But in the timeline of God, it was already set in stone what Christ had done for us. And so this is our reality. And interestingly enough, verse 20. I love this verse, everybody. We, we, we all read it already. The stars fought from heaven. The stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. Now this sounds a little strange. You're like, were the sh stars shooting lasers or something and, you know, doing some crazy thing? No, no, not at all. It's, it's partially symbolic, obviously, but, but there's actually a very literal truth here that Deborah and Barak are stating. Why? Because we know this according to the book of Romans where Paul says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. Somebody say all things. Now, see, unfortunately, a lot of people interpret all things as all the bad things. No, no, no. It doesn't say all the bad things. Some people interpret all things as all the things you experience, but it doesn't say all the things you experience. It just literally says all things. And so God literally designed all of creation, the entirety of the universe, to work together towards the purposes that he has and he wants to accomplish. And if God wants to accomplish something good in my life and he wants to accomplish something good in your life, which he declares he wants to do, then he literally works even the sun, the moon, and the stars, and everything else in the entirety of the universe for the benefit of the people who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so Deborah can sing, God, you even align the stars, not in a new age type of way. Oh, no, we don't believe a second in that stuff. But in the God directs everything to accomplish his good purposes in our lives. Does somebody believe that today? I mean, that's why when Joshua fought one time, he could ask God to stop the movement of the sun so they would have more hours to defeat the enemy. And God's like, you got it, Joshua. And he stops the sun. 
Oh, our God works all things, all things, so we might experience the victory that he has for us. It is his presence going before us that establishes all that God wants to do. My friends, this is the story of Job. It's the story of Job. God did not cause his suffering, but God absolutely permitted his suffering. And Job was a righteous man. Yes, he was. But Job still had a few things to learn, as we all do. And God used the suffering to teach Job some important lessons about God. But then after he suffered, and after he learned, after he was formed, the Lord blessed him way more than what he ever had before because there is always victory in the suffering that comes our way. And so I am telling you today, would you choose to watch this? Would you choose to follow Jesus into battle because he has already gotten there before you? In verses 10 and 11, I actually just want to read verse 11 if we could. It says, listen to the village musicians, right? I already read this, except for the last part. Gathered at the watering holes, they recount the righteous victories of the Lord and the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord, what does it say? March down to the city gates. The enemy had come to the city gates. But now, because they knew that the Lord had already gone out before them, the people of the Lord say, okay, God, you went onto the field of battle. We are marching out onto the field of battle as well. We will go to where the enemy is. And that is not the only example because in verse 15, it says the princes of Issachar were with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak. Watch what it says. Rushing. Somebody say with me. Rushing. Rushing into the valley. And so where the battle was, they knew that the Lord had already marched out ahead of them. So they said, we are running into the battle because we know that the Lord is already there. And can I just tell you this? Because if you run from the battle, you're actually running from the presence of God. If you run from the battle, if you hide from the battle, if you ignore the battle, you are losing out on the victory that God has in his presence. And so when battle comes, God is telling you, don't hide anymore. Don't ignore it. Don't run from it. Run towards it. Run into it because he has already gone there ahead of you. And you will meet him there, and you will experience the victory of God. I gotta come to the end, but watch this. When they fought, and you can read this here in chapter four, when they fought, they fought and defeated the enemy only using one weapon, swords. They only used swords. Somebody say that with me, say swords. What are swords? Well, scripturally speaking, the sword is the word of God. So I want you to see this. The presence of God goes before us into the battle. Then we rush into the battle, and our weapon in the battle is what? 
the Word of God. And we bring the Word of God into the battle and completely defeat the enemy. But let me be clear. God has already defeated the enemy in the battle. We are just affirming the victory. And so when you bring the Word of God into the battle of cancer, when you bring the Word of God into the battle of depression, let me be very clear, because I talk to people that are going through depression, and they're like, what do I do? Well, there's a lot of different roots of it and why it happens, and I'm not... It's not my message today, but let me be very clear what everybody can do constantly and consistently. Here it is. You ready? Use the Word of God as your weapon. You every single day, you wake up, it's the Word of God. You go to bed, it's the Word of God. During the day, when the enemy attacks you with the wrong thought, it's the Word of God. And you bring the sword of God to the battle. And you go, God, you have already won the victory, but I'm bringing my sword. I am bringing my sword into the battle because I will affirm the victory that I know you have won for me. My friends, that's how we do it. That's how we do it. So we're going to struggle. We're going to go through difficulty. But the Lord has won the victory. And he has gone out ahead of us into the battle. The question for you and I is simply this. Will we join him? Will he jo- we join him? So many Christians are, are on, this, on this mental fight about whether God is with you or not. And, and can I just tell you that that even kind of whole question is so far away from the reality. Not only is God with you, he got there a year ahead of you. You're just catching up to what God is already doing when you show up into the battle. He's like, oh, hey, nice of you to join me here. Finally, you made it. And that is the reality. And so when you go into battle... He's been hanging out there for a while. And no, he knows the lay of the land. He knows the strategies the enemy is using. He knows everything else that is going on. And he's like, just come, just come, just come and march victoriously into the field of battle with me and watch what I am going to do. Would you stand up with me right now? Has anybody received something from the Lord today? that in mind, I want to do a simple prayer today, and then I want to, and then we're going to sing that he is the way maker, but if, I, I, I don't want to pray today for your difficulties, like why not, well we already did, we prayed for that, uh, my brother Pastor Jordan came up and he prayed for all of those things, so that's not the focus of my prayer right now focus of my prayer right now is for those that have been running from the battle. Is for those that have been hiding. Those that have been ignoring. And you've been filled with doubt and you've been filled with wonder and you've been filled with like, I don't know know what to do. And the Lord is telling you today, I want to give you boldness. I want to build your faith. And I want you to rush into battle and watch what I will do. And if you are in a battle in your life and your pattern up until now has been running away, ignoring it and trying to escape, and today you say, I want my pattern to change. I want to become the type of person that victoriously walks into battle. Because let me be clear, cancer is not defeat, it's the battle. You hear me? 
depression, anxiety. It's not defeat. It's the battleground. And you choose what you will do with that battleground. And for me, I want to walk, no, I want to run into it and be victorious with the Lord. And so if you today have been running away, ignoring it, trying to escape it, and today you say, I want to switch my direction and I want to enter fully into the battle and commit myself to it, whatever that battle is, and trust that the Lord has already stepped foot in that battle and that I'll get the victory with him. Would you just raise up a hand or two hands if that's you right now? And Lord Jesus, with all of my friends right now that are saying that they are choosing to rush into battle, that they don't want to stay on the sidelines, they don't want to stay apart, they don't want to hide, but they want to choose to enter into the battle that they have already happening that it's already going on in their lives. But today they are saying, I will step into it. I will step into it. And if that's them today, Lord Jesus, would you today fill them with boldness? Would you today give them new faith? And would you today build their trust in you that they would be the types of people that say, Lord, I'm going to rush in now. I'm going to rush in because I know you you are already there. I know you have already been fighting for me. And so I'm going to come along you your side and I'm going to rush into this so that I can get the spoils of victory and so Lord Jesus as they rush in to battle as they choose to step into it may you bless them more than they've ever experienced before and may you cause them to experience your presence like never before and may they become a people that are walking fully in all that you have for them in Jesus mighty name and how many can say amen to God